If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to flow like you actually want it to, with highs, lows, twists, stakes, gasps, laughs, explosions And galore. here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how do you write a campaign, adventure, or story arc from scratch? And what are the critical questions to ask yourself that allow you to remain flexible and feel prepared all at the same time? And how do you work in all the cool little ideas and inspirations you got percolating in your brain? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. You had a real runaway there for a moment. Well, I got excited because this is an important concept and it's it's an important episode. Yes, it truly is. If there's one little piece of advice or, you know, thought process changing kind of content, it's definitely the stuff that we're going to talk about in this episode. I've been using it a lot recently myself. It just makes my planning so much easier. Some of the rabbit trails I go down that take three hours and then I loop back around to realize this had nothing to do with the game. I screwed up royally. This process can be really hard to explain. Sometimes it's a lot of information to grasp and we do kind of struggle with it from time to time. It is essential though. It solves 99 of our problems, but we still had one. And that was until Jordan wrote a bunch of guiding questions to help this process. And everything just kind of clicked. But we're getting a little ahead of the curve here, Travis. We need to talk about the problem in the first place that we're solving with this. If your campaign has ever felt like it meandered a little too much, or if it didn't have the dramatic highs and lows that you were hoping it would. If it didn't feel like it's built for the players to undergo an actual journey. If it just feels overwhelming and hard to plan every time you sit down and so you avoid it, and so you end up with completely improv sessions that go nowhere. If your sessions feel like they're really hard to plan and they don't slot in easily to your overall narrative. If you have some really cool set piece ideas, like specific concepts, but you just don't know how to put them into something coherent. If you use pre-written adventures, but struggle to adapt them to your needs and your world. If you have players that don't really seem invested and you're trying to figure out where you went wrong. If you need direction for tone or for pacing for a particular session, this could be your solution. And we don't have the time for the other 90 problems, but we do have that solution. So let's talk about that. Well, there's a lot of story structures out there, a lot of ideas that you could use. Some time ago, we grabbed a concept from the incredibly talented writer Dan Harmon. If that name sounds vaguely familiar, you probably recognize it as the showrunner for Rick and Morty, for Community. Uh, he's just, he's incredibly talented, and he just seems to have this innate understanding of characters. Well, it turns out he has a really simple structure he uses that he adapted from Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. His system works really well for episodic television. And like any good creators, we lifted this concept, we adapted it for tabletop games, and it has worked 
so beautifully. Yeah, we did some minor tweaks to the way that we kind of look at each one of these stages in his process. But as great a guide as this became, it needed a bit more love. And so, like I mentioned before, I don't know where this came from, Jord, whether this was just some kind of weird spark of inspiration in your bizarre brain <laughs> and how it works, but it was brilliant. And all it turned out to be was a couple of leading questions. For each stage. Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell you where ideas come from. They just appear. <laughs> That's one of the great mysteries of the universe, Travis. Granted, writing an entire adventure does still take time. I just spend way less time questioning if whatever path that I'm currently on in my planning is a good one to be on. Like I used to sit there and stressfully prep for every game because I didn't know if what I was writing was going to be used in the game at all. And having numerous sessions has become really easy. We spent an afternoon coming up with the entire structure of the adventure that we're writing this season. And I can adapt that as I go. Like I can do another adventure arc, then I can plan out the rest of the campaign if I want. I can see if it still works. I can see if I need to change it. It's so adaptable and malleable. It certainly doesn't trap you into one path or railroad your campaign for the rest of time. Well, and what strikes me so much is just the confidence that it gives me. When I plan something out this way, I just have a concrete direction and I know what serves my purposes and what serves my story. Already, GMing is an incredibly lonely road. The only other people that give a shit about your story are the players and you can't share the story with them. So as a GM, you're kind of just forced into this terrible state <laughs> where you get to sit there and question every little goddamn idea that you have and go, I don't know if this is good, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> yep, what a terrible <laughs> feeling. You're pitching your ideas every time you play. Right. If you haven't been listening to this season in order, luckily you don't have to. Uh, we're still going to hopefully provide some really awesome value for you. But we're going to use this season as an example throughout this episode. So let's talk through the actual structure that we're talking about. We'll try and hopefully keep this nice and simple so that you can follow along. So this structure has eight steps, and our titles for them are Current, Hook, Kickoff, Challenge, Choice, Suffer, Climax, and Aftermath. Breaking those down a little bit more, the current is where the players start the adventure. It's the normal world before things get weird. It also introduces the problem and why they should care about it in the first place. But we haven't provided them with a hook. The players are given then a reason to care catered to them specifically. Should they not respond, we've got plenty of ability to play with the hook, leading them to the kickoff, where the adventure begins, and they are thrust past the point of no return into the jaws of relentless challenge. So then we take relevant challenges thematic to the story that are presented to the players to overcome one at a time, leading to their goal and an important choice where a twist or catch is thrown at them. We know you love twists. We do too. This is exactly where you put them. They make an incredibly difficult choice. They choose a path. All the paths lead forward, but whichever one they choose says a lot about the party and their characters. But ultimately, they have to suffer. So the players are then pushed off the precipice. They are hit hard. They're at their lowest point, providing the building blocks for a 
big epic climax. This is going to be the set piece, what it's all been leading towards. All of the challenges might rear their heads again. All the choices they've made, the previous decisions that they've made are going to play a role here. And then you got to explore the consequences. And you do that in the aftermath. The players get a sense of closure and potentially accomplishment or failure, depending on what they did which means that they don't actually have to come through in the end. You explore whatever aftermath that their choices led to, and they get to feel their impact on the world. Let's get into the whole planning stages, and we'll we'll talk about how we made some of these choices and what they ended up in in this season. But before we do that... Yeah, first we got to get into some movies and pop culture, Travis. <laughs> As we do. It's fun. This is the Extra Dimensional Gateway, where strange yet familiar alternate realities can be summoned forth when help is needed. Okay, so six episodes back, episode number 162, we recapped a bunch of the results of our session zero. This was an episode where show patrons had acted like players would be in a session zero like any good gm we used their desires and feedback of what kind of game they wanted to play in to craft our story the adventure that we're using as an example for all of this story stuff and it turns out that we had some desires for some classic adventure fantasy who doesn't like that right so the first bit of inspiration was Indiana Jones slash The Goonies, quintessential 80s adventure fiction. It formed uh, most of me, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, both both films were very influential on Jordan and I, for sure. <laughs> I would be a little bit worried if it was like 98% of you. Who can say? <laughs> Nature nurture. But these movies have dungeon delving in them. And in our opinion, it's done absolutely correctly it's high adventure it hit they hit a tone between lighthearted and fun but still having dark and dire themes and things going on in them traps and dangers really felt like they were meant to be there you know it didn't feel so much like i don't know like a randomly generated dungeon but you know they still went on this adventure that still had like pit traps but for some reason you <laughs> bought them yeah like you're like okay that makes sense i guess and it's just chock full of them too and it has the beauty of child endangerment, <laughs> which I know you're like, Jordan, you're a psychopath. But actually, it serves a great purpose in storytelling. Well, I mean, in the case of Indiana Jones, I feel like Steven Spielberg really knew what he was doing off the get go, which was like, how do we add the wide eyed awe of a kid in these kind of fantastical situations? Like, for instance, Temple of Doom. You know, you have Short Round going along with Indiana Jones throughout this very dangerous adventure, like you said, child endangerment for sure. But it was there as a storytelling device so that you got to see it through a kid's eyes. Like Short Round the entire time was like, whoa, holy smokes. Yeah. And for good reason. Indy just leaps over obstacles, no problem. He's seen some shit. He's not impressed anymore. Well, and as an audience, we have too. Like, we saw him in Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yeah, sure. He went against Nazis getting a super weapon that melted people's faces, <laughs> but he did so pretty handily. Yeah. And in our games, we can use a kid's perspective as the DM to be like, holy shit, look at what the player characters are doing. That is wild. Right. It like grounds the fantastic elements of our games in, you know, in the experience of what a kid would see. Our next inspiration was the coming of age stories that the Goonies and Stranger Things capture so well. I feel like this blends really well with that last point of just being able to see things from a kid's perspective. But then, I don't know, we have this like element of drama that comes when child endangerment is <laughs> is a thing, I guess, is the, is the <laughs> takeaway here. But like 11 in Stranger Things should not have to deal with the stuff that she's dealing with. That's what gives the story drama. Yeah, it's not just child endangerment, but it's piling responsibility onto the shoulders of a child. That's just downright fun to watch. And since we're not going to force any of the players to play an 11-year-old child, uh, we got to include a child NPC that we can use to solve all of these inspirations. Then the third bit of inspiration was more classic fantasy. We wanted to do something like the Mines of Moria. We wanted a dungeon adventure escape kind of story. And we didn't just want it for the scene where Gandalf yells at the Balrog. Right. Even though that's the best part forever. Here's the thing is that we as GMs are going to draw inspiration from here, but we don't have to plan to have someone in the story do the whole you shall not pass because <laughs> we know that the players will. Yeah. 100%. They will not be able to resist. <laughs> what we actually want to try and take away here is a pursuit through a crumbling death trap. That feels hella fun. I want to play that myself. I want to GM that kind of experience. I mean, this has everything that I enjoy about GMing built into it. Huge monsters chasing you. Things falling apart. It keeps that tension sky high while all this other story stuff is happening. Right. So that's the inspiration. We've got classic pulp adventures. We've got kids in way over their heads. And we've got the kind of high tension of a dramatic dungeon escape. And we're going to mix all of that together. We're going to grab those inspirations and we're going to work them through our story structure in the Kinship Camp. Take a seat around Kinship Camp where travelers craft tall tales of their adventures and exploits around the safety of the fire. All right, George, spin me a yarn. Okay, well, it was once a tiny rabbit bug monster. No, Jesus, how did you lose the plot so quickly? I just wanted to Christ, that's something. a talent. Show yourself out. <laughs> okay. And as another quick recap, if you've been following along for the season, you probably already know this, but if this is all new to you, then all we're doing is we're telling the story of a beautiful temple in the middle of a lush, gorgeous valley that has slugs that have been powering rejuvenating waters. And because of this, there is a temple of monks that have been caretaking this wonderful power, this beautiful resource. And outside of that temple, 
A town has flourished because they have no worries. Everything grows easily. They all can get drunk every day. It's a town full of Jimmy Buffett parrot heads. And <laughs> all they do is just chill and drink from coconuts. And they are afforded a life of luxury because of the hardworking monks that take care of this resource. I like to think of them as more Timon and Pumbaa lifestyle. Ah, yes. The Hakuna Matata mm -hmm. approach to life. So far, we know that our main villain is just going to be a person that's kind of sick of that shit. And they close and lock the temple. And now the last remaining monk, a child, needs to be escorted through long forgotten temple of trials to the center to unlock and figure out why the doors have been closed and why this resource has been tainted. Lots of potential for hijinks there. All right, well, let's talk about the story structure then. That first stage we're getting into is current. The highlight here is to establish normal and to highlight a problem. The current state of the setting, how you start your adventure, is going to be in some kind of imperfect state. Solving this problem is going to be the goal of this adventure. So the key questions that you came up with to start to kickstart our thought process on how do we lay this out and what is it we're really after. You came up with three questions and they are, why is the problem worth solving? Why should your party be the ones to solve it? And how do we deliver this information to the party? This addressed my needs of this current state. Like these are the three questions that I need to ask myself and I can drive down to the core of what I'm trying to do in this stage of the story. So with this specific adventure, the answers to those are pretty simple. The problem is worth solving because the town is full of good, innocent, once fun-loving people. They don't deserve this. This water source has been corrupted. Right. And they're looking for someone to help. Why should the party be the ones to help? Well, they're the pretty much the only healthy people left in town. Everyone else has fallen prey to the corruption of this healing water. They're weak and feeble and sick. And maybe they're even actively dying. This feels very like Temple of Doom. Obviously, like Indy is the one with the skills and the experience to help get the kids back. Remember the village? They're just like, all of our kids are gone. What happened? <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, here comes Indy. And like, obviously, he's the one to solve it. Mm -hmm. Who else is going to assault some big keep? That's very much like I love this because the adventurers, if they walk away from this, that is a death sentence for the town. Right. Yeah, it's very unlike some other, you know, town problems that we run into in tabletop games, which is like, it would sure be nice if you did this thing for me. Yeah. I'll give you 20 gold or you can leave. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Right. And then the adventurers say no and go somewhere else and you're screwed. <laughs> so how do we deliver this information to the party? Well, I think it's as simple as a popular, loved, and respected town tavern owner that is kind of the de facto leader of the town welcomes the party, not in their usual fashion because they're probably not feeling so hot. I would love to see this person, like we've briefly kind of discussed this in past episodes, this character, but I would love to see this character like doing their best to do their usual like, hey, welcome to town. Yeah. This is, I'm... <laughs> Super, <laughs> and it's like, oh no, you're doing your best to do your usual <laughs> shtick, but the blood that you're coughing up is the alarming part here. Yeah, <laughs> that's our first encounter is wake up the town greeter. 
Yeah. So that's a great, you know, the next piece that we need to solve is that exposition device. And in this case, that town greeter is a perfect vehicle for exposition. Then we need to just know what key information needs to be conveyed to the party through that tavern owner. So we need the party to know the town was once prosperous. Things have changed almost overnight from plentiful to poisonous. People are starting to blame each other. There's suspicions of certain bad actors in town. And we can even introduce the potential suspects who we talked about in our last episode because we don't want players to immediately figure out what's going on here. Right. We want it to be a little bit of a mystery, so we have to include some other potential suspects. But one of the most important parts of the step that we kind of just glossed over here, but that is listing out what is that key info? What is the core? Because if I have this planned out, then the party can do whatever the hell they want. They can say, no, we don't want to talk to you, old man. You're coughing blood all over us and you're disgusting. Go away. Right. They can go play Gringledorf with the other kids in town and like whatever <laughs> weird sidetrack they want to do, you can allow because you know what you've got to accomplish. Right. Those kids playing Gringledorf? Yeah, did Gringledorf. You say? Okay. It's a seasonal game yeah. <laughs> where you use tacks. Uh, tax and shoes is the main tool of the game. As much as I want to see you just like struggle your way through <laughs> coming up with the rules to Gringledorf on the spot, yeah. I'm going to cut you off because okay. the point being, <laughs> no, you will not. <laughs> you will not bring up Gringledorf one more time. Now, here's the thing is that one of those kids can now provide that exposition. They can bring up some of those key points. It doesn't matter who they talk to. I know what information I got to get across in this stage. Right. Pivoting. Now, at this point in planning an adventure, we don't want to get deep into the nitty gritty of every single encounter and, and what that's going to look like on the day of that session. But we can quickly come up with a concept, at least, for a social, a combat, and an environmental encounter that they might run into. And you and I have already done some of the prep work on this. But just to show you how like loose and easy some of these ideas you're coming up with at this stage, they really don't have to be that in depth. You know, a social encounter could be just calming a lynch mob down from their bloodlust towards one of those suspects. That's a great way of getting across that this town has a serious problem, especially if it was once fun loving, that they're ready to kill each other now. Holy shit, there's a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. If you're feeling the need for combat, which you might be, you might not be, it's kind of just like depending on the vibe of the party, the party gets robbed and they can, you know, have a quick little fight with the robbers. But to show that the townspeople are still actually good at heart, they might interfere. They might talk down the robbers with the party. And then the party gets to choose whether they want to go on some punishment tear or, <laughs> you know, let them go. Be good. <laughs> I'll give you a hundred dollars if the party does not actually follow through yeah. and murder everyone. Execute. Start the execution. And then if you really wanted to do some kind of environmental scenario as well, like we like environmental challenges to be added into our session somewhere, like you can do something like the bridge collapses under the weight of all of the people pleading to get into the temple. The temple's closed for business because holy shit, everything's gone to hell. Yeah. And, you know, you could be rescuing townspeople from a collapse 
or something like that. Like that would be a ton of fun. And it also positions the party as the heroes. Yeah, it shows the town that these people have some skills that might be able to help them with their collection of bills. <laughs> that need to be paid i I see where you're going with there you kind of fumbled the landing but i love it i lost confidence yeah (laughs) all right so then we move on to the hook now this is pointing towards a solution to the problem you know right now the players don't have a ton of direction there's clearly an issue but we as the gm need to feed them a little bit to get them going on a particular path We need to point towards some clear solutions to the problem that's been established. So the answers that we need to answer for ourselves are why does this problem need to be solved now? Essentially adding a ticking clock. How do we hook the individual characters by including their individual wants as possible rewards for solving the problem? And what paths could lead to a solution? And why are some of them impossible? So the problem needs to be solved now because... The poisoned waters have been causing an illness, let's say. Townspeople are dying. And, you know, if they were to try to leave town, they probably wouldn't even make that journey. So it's now or never. Right. Hooking the individual characters. I mean, really, all we need to do is look to some of our characters and say one wants power. The other one wants some kind of redemption by doing some good in the world, you know, and we just look at those and try to find ways of spelling that out. You know, if we need an NPC to say, hey, the savior of this town would probably go a long way to looking like a hero in the outlying regions. Yeah. Providing some solutions, some very fun, adventurous sounding solutions. There's a series of trials below this temple that leads to its heart. It was once the initiation ritual of the order. That's probably uh, a pretty good route to getting in there and figuring out what's going on. I mean, you also have the meta knowledge of the party that the dangerous dungeon that you're asking them to go into is probably the solution that they should, (laughs) you know. Yeah. We need an exposition device for all of this, though. And I think this is where we introduce that child. So from here, we need to deliver the key information to the child that their leader is gone and their leader is the most devoted person in the world, but he might be in danger. We don't know where he is. And any solution to fixing these now poisonous waters that are killing the entire town would definitely be down inside that temple. Just so we don't take forever in this episode coming up with all the potential encounters that could be in this adventure. An important one for this stage in the story is that maybe a a really angry random citizen tries to break through the sanctum doors. This is going to trigger their defense mechanism, a shockwave which decimates that NPC, maybe crumbles some of the temple walls. And the environmental and challenge here is about helping people avoid those crumbling walls. So that's going to set up the fact that going through the front doors, not an option. Right. And it really kind of sets them on the path of going through the temple because if they continue to try to get inside this inner sanctum of the temple, bad things are going to keep happening. And as this town gets more and more desperate... Like, we've just piled on another ticking clock. The next stage is the kickoff. They essentially begin their journey. The problem is impossible to ignore, and they move past the threshold that says, adventures start, you can't go back, things are going to start getting real bad real quick. The key questions that we need to ask ourselves when planning this stage 
are what threshold does the party actually cross? This is a great signal to the party that the adventure has started. What is the new dangerous setting? And why shouldn't slash can't they turn back? In certain adventures, some of these questions will answer themselves, but it's still good to like have that building block that you always turn back to. Well, and the clarity that you really are after when you're running these sessions. So the threshold here is that the party is actually going to begin the trials with the child. We could say that the new dangerous setting is this crumbling temple. They were above, now they're below. The path is quickly becoming inaccessible. Yeah, I mean, especially if one of those shockwaves has been set off, the entrance is crumbling. And besides that, trying to turn back now, you've got all these ticking clocks going. The ritual to get into that inner temple sanctum must be completed. And the child is the only one that can bring us there. And if the devious, irresponsible little shits in our party decide that they want to turn around for some reason, we can always just crumble the entrance and block them in. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, you little assholes. We need an exposition device for this stage. Obviously, we now have a child who's going along with them on this adventure because the child needs to conduct some kind of ritual at the end. Is the only one with the know-how to do such ritual to, say, open the final seal of this, uh, this whole temple of trials. The party has all that information they need to know about the trials from the child. And as far as those encounters go, I think an important one here could be a social one where, you know, the party has to get the child to calm down and focus because they just crossed the threshold as well. And they're starting to lose their shit because this is the most dangerous situation they've ever been in. But the party knows that they're the only source of information going forward. And they literally need that child to get through the adventure. Yeah, they are now responsible for this kid. They need the kid, but they are the indie to the short round. Yeah. Like they have to keep their head on straight and keep this child safe throughout these very dangerous situations. Short round is the key. Then we've got the challenge. So this is related obstacles on their journey. And what we really want to try to do here is provide a series of challenges that they'll be able to look back on at the end of their adventure and go, look at all of the crazy shit that we survived to get here. This is where, you know, all of the little tricks and traps start to rear their ugly heads. And if we're really savvy, if we really want to go the extra mile, then they are thematic to the story that we're trying to tell. And another really fun part about this stage is that this is where the pitch for this whole adventure goes. We got everyone excited because this is a crumbling adventure through ancient trials uh, with monsters chasing you the whole time. This is where all of that comes in. So the questions we need to ask are, what logical challenges could the party encounter at this stage? How can we highlight the individual strengths of the party? And can we whittle away their resources to increase the tension? So we've talked about it, but just a quick recap on the challenges here, the original trials, the crumbling nature of these trials from years of disuse, the monster that's going to be chasing them through the trials. What's really cool about this opportunity is we've talked about this like shockwave that maybe happens above. It hurts the temple proper that's on the surface. But who knows? You know, you've got this original test of 
will and strength that was designed for the monks. But now you've added on a layer of it's falling apart and it's even more dangerous and it maybe doesn't even function like it was originally designed to. And then we've thrown monsters in here as well. Because remember, we wanted to do a Minds of Moria kind of feel to it. So we're going to introduce more monsters within this place, chasing after them, adding more tension even still. Don't forget about the tacks in the shoes, because that's a good challenge to include. <laughs> what? Tacks? In, in the, shoes? Yeah, in the game. The oh, game that they learned about in... Right. Oh, the, <laughs> the children's game that <laughs> yes. you invented at random. We're still using the child for an exposition device here. The child is conveying some of the dangers of these challenges, but at the same time, they're also unsure about their own path with the monks. A huge role that we want the party to step into is one of kind of mentoring this child and helping them make the decisions they're going to have to make. That's the information we have to convey here. I swear the most exciting part of writing this entire adventure is putting the very chaotic, very unreliable, very non-mentorly kind of player characters into the position of being a mentor to a young child. Yeah. I love it so much because either they fail and they fall flat on their goddamn faces or they change. This is forcing character growth through narrative. And I'm so excited to see how this actually plays out within a game because, yeah, this child is essentially looking down the barrel of a life of monkdom. And they were kind of more or less born into that. Yeah. And what kind of questions and challenges does that raise that this kid then, as the GM, gets to ask of the party, what is your philosophy on life? And do you think I should stay a monk for the rest of my life? That is going to cause some really cool role play and some really cool character development among these player characters. And honestly, I think that whole scenario could be a great social encounter for this stage in the story. And you know that when I'm running that, I've got a pen and I'm writing down the responses of the party because I'm going to bring those back later on. Even the way that party members solve each trial is really important here. Right. Like the child could choose one of them to basically emulate the entire way through. Yeah, I love this because, yes, this party is going to absolutely form this kid during this very short adventure and they get whatever they get based on their actions and this is also a really good example of how this structure does not constrain how the adventure plays out because you can start to get a sense of how many different paths this is going to take based on who's playing it so now we're at the choice stage which means that we've reached our destination, but there is a catch. We've reached our original goal, but something else shows up in our way. So the key questions here are, what goal are they reaching at this point? What choice are you presenting to the party? And how is that choice going to define the party? In this case, I think that the party reaches, you know, the big, this is like the, the big temple door. It's very ornate. This would have been the goal of the original Temple of Trials. If you'd made it past this, then you'd succeeded. So they get there. So what if it's just standing open? But the catch is, 
is that they have found two of the other monks that went in ahead of the party to try and find things. They've discovered them down here. The door is sitting open, and the catch is is that one of the monks betrays the other, kicks him through the door. The door is now sealed, and now they have to figure out a way through. This is a good stage to start giving the party more information, too. So I think that Betrayer Monk is a good little source of exposition as well to kind of like do the mini version of the villain monologue. The requisite villain monologue. (laughs) We need to determine what kind of choice we're providing to the party. So I do see this next stage as like a big set piece combat. We need to have the struggle here be that... The party has to deal with all of these different threats. Not only did we just see a betrayal, but now the kid is responsible for opening this seal. They know the the incantation or the ritual, but they've never really been trained to do it. They know it's super taxing. And now the choice we're presenting to the party is, do they help the child and take on this burden with them, take on the responsibility for opening the door, or do they just keep the monsters that are attacking in this big set-piece combat at bay? So if they help share the burden, then they'll probably get attacked more by the monsters, and if they keep the monsters at bay, then they're kind of like helping themselves while helping the child less? Yeah, something like that. Whereas if they choose to take on the responsibility with the child and share this like magical burden that comes with opening this giant sealed door, then they've learned something. They've kind of grown in that making that choice. So like you said, we have the exposition provided by these other two monks that they meet down in that cavern. And really, like, the key info that we're trying to get across is what? Well, we want the party to learn about the villain's plot at this stage. We kind of want them to know what potential outcomes this whole adventure could have based on the paths that they choose to take. And that this wasn't just a random thing that happened. This evil plot has been brewing for a while. And as for encounters, like we have this big set piece encounter. You know, I can see it all in my mind. A huge cavern. There's pits on all sides. There's monsters crawling up the walls. There's a big bad that's like brewing down in the depths. And, you know, there's just threats everywhere. All while trying to maintain this ritual. Now, another one of the most important parts of a story is this suffer stage. This next stage is all about just really highlighting that the players are in their lowest point in the story so far. And the reason we're doing this is because without it, the heroes really haven't overcome much. So that's really what we're trying to do. A devastating blow and make the players feel like all could be lost. And the party's most likely going to get up and keep going, of course. But it's this moment that makes them look heroic. The fact that they did come that close to losing, but they kept going anyways. Right. So the key questions here are, what has the party lost? Why would giving up be easier than continuing on in kind of a story logical sense and how does this reflect the fears of the party kind of want to be thinking about the player characters at this point too and seeing if this is actually going to affect them at all i really dig this so 
as far as what is the party lost, I'm thinking, you know, regardless of the outcome of this fight, the child definitely needs to fall in a crevasse. Before you think I'm horrible, I'm thinking like <laughs> there's the healing waters are maybe fine down this far. And so the healing waters are still in effect. So we could have, you know, like in the Goonies, kids fall down holes all the time. <laughs> and then there's this like silence and then you hear a splash. That's what I'm talking about. Before you think I'm some kind of, you know, child murderer. Well, I mean, there's plenty of ways to get that child in that pit. There's monster tentacles. There's collapsing ruins. Then we've got, uh, you know, a giant monster that's maybe absconded with this child. Oh, no. Now we have to go and fight that and get it back. A la, like, Newt and aliens. you got to go and face the queen or whatever. Yeah. We want a, a good, solid reason that the party can't get away from a tasty monster showdown. Now, why would giving up be easier than continuing on? Well, maybe in the collapse, a light shines from above. I mean, the heroes, not that they would, because that would make them truly evil, <laughs> but they could just walk out. They haven't quite made it into the inner sanctum, but they could just leave the town and the kid and the monks to their fate and peace the hell out. How much more heroic do they seem because they ignore that easy out? Right. That's why it's there. It's not to actually get the party to give up now that the stakes <laughs> are greater than they've ever been. It's just to be like, we're going to push on through. Right. And we've got all of these ticking clocks still in effect to ensure that they don't just like out and then long rest and then back in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The actual party members from that session zero um, I think that we've done a great job in making them all want to move forward. One of these characters is watching all of these evildoers move farther from redemption, which is their goal. One of the characters is watching expectations of good and evil be reversed at every step along the way, probably confusing the shit out of them. And another character is seeing the corruption of power play out, which their whole thing is wanting more power. So... Yeah, I think I think we're nailing it. And then, of course, all of the exposition comes from the betrayer who we just talked about in the last stage, who, you know, kicks, you know, stabs their own monk brethren in the back and seals the chamber off from the party. Like this is a great opportunity to, like you said, Jord, give that like mini exposition grand evil villain plan dump. The major encounter here is going to be the monster fight. It's such a great way to kind of like showcase their lowest point is being face to face with the most horrifying monster they could ever imagine. And even if they get the kid back, like they are depleted of resources, of time, of all of these other things. And they're at the bottom of some pit somewhere in these lost, terrible ruins to take a beat at that moment and just let that all sink in and see how far they have to go yet. You know, they're the furthest from their goal that they've ever been. Which brings us to the next stage, which is the climax. It all comes together here, friends. The questions, the key questions that we need to ask ourselves are what elements or threats are coming together to make this the biggest showdown yet? What likely outcomes are there for this particular beat? And what does triumphant return really look like for these players well we want this to be the major showdown with the villain 
So we might have the monsters show back up if they've got any life left in them. We got the villain themselves and the betrayer and the crumbling temple ruins. Those are all the threats we're working with. This is where the party gets to make one of their biggest choices yet. They get to choose what outcome to fight for here. And the idea is that the, the Grand Monk is trapped himself in here and he's conducting a ritual to suck all the healing power into himself. What a diabolical bastard. He's going to use it to dole out healing as he sees fit. Not to all of these hangers-on and mooches around <laughs> this town. He's seen this stuff get abused way too much and he's tired of it. So that provides us with a lot of options for the party. The party could straight up stop that ritual from happening, which would, you know, delete the healing powers from existence. They could try to get it so that the healing power goes back to the town like we talked about. They could shove the child into that ritual instead and make all the power go into the child. There's a lot we could do. And I think we need to consider the very likely option that the players themselves will try to absorb this power <laughs> and get the child to help them conduct this ritual and put it into themselves. Right, which I think a really cool little detail that we can put in here is that maybe the only person that can actually take on this much power without getting overcooked from it <laughs> is a child. Like a nice boiled egg. <laughs> so like maybe if the, the Grand Monk follows through with their plan, they wouldn't be able to contain all the power themselves. And maybe if the party takes it, they're going to run into some repercussions down the line for being absolute dicks, <laughs> not actually saving anybody and just showing up and taking it all for themselves. And you know that I'm going to give a mechanical reason why that was a bad choice in yeah. the long run. <laughs> like I'm going to give them some cool healing abilities, but there's going to be some side effects. And then really the last step Regardless of how this plays out, like the players can literally do whatever they want in this grand finale, and it can end on a very dour note, or it can end great with whatever choice they've made as, you know, a shining beacon of heroism. But ultimately, the next stage is the aftermath, or the outcomes of their choices are explored. We got to answer the questions, what long-term rewards and punishments are there going to be for the outcome of this adventure? How is the world going to react to the party's actions? And is there a way to have one last thrill and give the party an epic feeling of closure? What's really cool about this stage is that there are lots of different ways that the outcomes can play themselves out. You know, the players can choose to do a myriad of different things. But we do know that because of the way that the adventure has been set up, that there are kind of binaries for the town. Do they get healing back or don't they? Do they have to figure out how to live like regular people without those healing abilities? Does the villain redeem themselves? Does the party actually use words for the first time in the history of TTRPGs? And do they talk the villain down out of their evil plan? Or do they kill them? Or do they get all the healing powers? Like, there are pretty clear, quick points that you can make on each one of those outcomes that gives you some sense that you can actually mix together in that moment a whole, you know, the, the final scene in the movie that has, like, the text that pops up and it says, like, so-and-so went on to become the 
vice president of whatever. You know, it's the postscript of the story. Yeah. You can mix and match like a crazy chef at the very last moment a lot of <laughs> these things because there are a lot of binaries that come out of this. And it's also a chance to have fun little moments of the party reconnecting with anyone that they left on the surface to potentially die and, and made a quick relationship with in the first stages of the story. This is actually a really important point and the reason why the aftermath is so important because this gives you an opportunity to provide the players with the feeling of being a hero. Mm -hmm. They get to have townspeople say, oh my God, you saved us. They get to bask in that glory. To your point with the final question, is there a way to have one last thrill to highlight levels that they've gained during this adventure to showcase new skills? And then you give them, this is one of my favorite old tricks, was like after a really, really difficult adventure, you don't pile on more difficulty because, you know, for example, in D&D, you're always looking for a, a challenge rating to yeah. put against your party. And logically, as a GM, you just keep upping that challenge rating to make sure that it's an equal challenge for your party, which means that they never get to absolutely stomp the shit out of a <laughs> bandit, out of like a standard bandit. You know, that's a great way of highlighting how far they've come and what a heroic thing that they've done. Is to have a easy final fight, you're saying. Yeah. So like, I'm imagining the parties come up, they've done something heroic, the whole town's celebrating because the healing magic is coming back. And that goddamn monster pops its head up one last time because it got into some of the healing magic and it, it's on its very last legs. And so the party gets to just blast their their biggest abilities and spells <laughs> and the town cheers. The monster's head comes off. It's all <laughs> it just rad as hell. rockets off, too. <laughs> yeah. I love it. The monster decides it's finally done. It pops its own head off and gives it to the party. Jesus. <laughs> that took a turn I was not expecting. So there you go. That's that's the entirety of this story structure. I mean, we've got lots of different resources available for this if you want to try and plan your own. But what we're going to do is we're actually going to make a very quick Notion template that you can download on our website to walk you through these stages and these questions for your own story. And, you know, like we kind of alluded to in the very beginning, you can take a pre-written adventure. And so often, Jordan and I have found huge holes in how those are structured. So if you want to kind of double check the work of pre-written adventures and fill any in any of those gaps that you may have found, this is a great way of doing that, of going through these questions and saying, does this answer exist within this pre-written adventure? If nothing else, taking it and putting it into a spot that you can find it again. Right. <laughs> There's also that, because <laughs> I don't know how many times in the heat of battle or some random question that a player asked me and I have to flip back through <laughs> yeah. all of these pages. Where the hell was that written? You're sweating as they're all staring at you. Yeah. We're getting into my, one of my nightmares, but. <laughs> well. If you also want to see how all of these encounters and ideas that were dreamed up, how they turned out, consider becoming a patron of the show because we've actually got uh, this adventure in progress as a link to a notion. Um, you can actually keep track and follow along with us. And of course, you'll get this adventure for free 
when we're done as a patron. A special thanks to Will HP for joining us in the brainstorming of this story arc, as well as Leprechaun and Dangerous Marmalade for helping us with the details of the session zero. That's another one of those cool patron benefits is you can help us guide all of this nonsense towards an outcome that you would actually want to play and run as a GM. And we're also thanking all of the wonderful patrons that just keep us going. Like Inigo the Brave. Adam F. Alex R. Steve A. Sigma. Kaleidoscope. Skylar E. Deadman. Ninja Ducky. Sue Art. Blackthorn. First Law. Peacock Dreams. DM Thunderbomb. Marley R. Time Warp. Dangerous Marmalade. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Adlerius. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. DM Natsuki. Heavy Arms. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Find all of our resources free on our website at hookandchance.com. If this episode was helpful, um, refer back to it. Maybe somebody else could use this advice as well. Maybe your GM, if you're a player, <laughs> could use some of this because Lord knows they're struggling. Don't be a dick about it. <laughs> hey, you suck at this. <laughs> we are not advocating telling your GM that they suck. If you want to improve your DM skills in other areas, join the community of players and DMs on our Discord. They're always swapping great ideas. Like we said, being a GM is a lonely road, and sometimes you just need the help of other GMs. Yeah. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and Child Endangerment games. makes great adventure. No. Oh.